up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you for tuning in again. I thank you as always for that. And we have another return guest today, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome back Rose Ryan, a movement teacher at GSA, a LARPAN expert, in intimacy coordinator, and all things lover of movement and the sea as she lives in Brighton, and she's going to be off there in a minute. So, um, Rose, welcome back. Hi, nice to be back. Good. How have you been? Um, good, busy, because I've been changing my career from teaching at GSA to I'm now mentored by someone called Ita O'Brien and training as an intimacy practitioner. So specializing in intimacy coordination, intimacy direction and intimacy pedagogy. Well, which is and lovely. breathe. <laughs> and breathe, yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Stuff. Are you still doing bits and pieces at GSA or is that or have you sort of drawn a line under that now? I've drawn a line under that because I want to spend the next year devoting myself to working in film and television. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah, no, it's new for me. So after spending 40 years in theatre, <laughs> I mean, I have always done little bits of film work and, um, you know, music videos and things like that. But this is on a different scale. So I've been doing, uh, I think the one that people know is I worked on The Outlaws, mm -hmm. which is a BBC production that takes place down in Bristol. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working on their season three, which was great. It's written by Stephen Merchant. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So lots of fun. He was great to work with. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's it's a whole different way of working. And I'm really excited to be embarking on that. Amazing. So, um, so just before we have a starter question, I suppose we're going to touch a little bit about Laban today again, and, and then we'll get on to work as an intimacy coordinator. But, um, you know, the last we spoke was like two years ago. It was crazy how where the time just flies, isn't it? But mm -hmm. um, so what what have you learned about Laban over the last couple of years? Any new discoveries? Okay, so where I've been going with the Laban work, and actually, I have to say a big thank you to all those students at GSA who have been my uh, palette of discovery mm. and experimentation because what I've been playing with is taking the efforts in how we work with emotion and the efforts at the same time. So um, as well as establishing all the fundamentals and really bringing the Laban as a practice to the actor, um, you know, how we then how I think the thing for me is where it came from was you know as an actor at times you have to express you know incandescent rage for example mm -hmm. and something you can't practice out on the street otherwise <laughs> you can get taken away yes um, and so I was like well how can I provide an environment that the actors can have a palette or you know to experience rage without having to draw on personal personal experience. So although we will always, that's another long conversation I think to have is like how as actors, where do we place personal experience? So that'll always be bubbling along. But the what the efforts did was give me building blocks to provide a, a safe environment for the actor to experience a palette Mm -hmm. of emotion so for example with that rage to do an effort weave on rage so whereas the first thing we might reach for would be that we would do rage on thrust mm. what's it like to float rage <laughs> or to flick it out you know yeah and yeah and there was so there was so many discoveries so that's where it began from yeah and that, 
that was really palpable. And I could see in the actors' bodies and in their response, they were like, what, this is interesting. And also useful, because I think the thing for the actors, especially in the second year, is how can we apply this to the work? Mm. How can we use this? So then I went away and did a bit more research. And um, I don't know if you've heard of someone called Brené Brown. It rings a bell, but I can't say I know her work very well. So, yeah. Okay. She's a Canadian psychologist. Okay. We got together and, you know, you need to check the details on this one, but she got together with another team of psychologists and they they looked at um, cataloging emotion and they came up with about 150 common emotions. And what she did, she she's created a book called The Atlas of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And in that, she catalogues the emotions, but she gives really clear physical indicators of what. So, for example, anguish. Um, I think she talks about how anguish, you know, your knees go weak. You go weak at the knees or you can't move, you know, because it, it's the, the life force is drained out of you. So she gives really clear descriptors about what's happening physically in the body. So what I just what I did was take some of her work from Atlas of the Heart and into the space with the actors. And I had to say to them, you look, I've not done this before, so let's see where it's going to go. <laughs> um, and what we do is we would first off talk about so something like anguish. I would get them to reflect themselves on anguish, what they thought anguish was, maybe where they'd seen it or you know, if they'd experienced it, I'd ask them to really only share things that were, you know, okay to share in a working space. Appropriate, yeah. Yeah. So we'd talk about it and we'd arrive at what we thought of it. And then I'd we'd talk, we'd read through what Brené offered us and we'd discuss the differences and the specifics. Um, and then we'd get up and weave, you know, and find out what language, what language, language, anguish offered us through the Laban. So, you know, the Laban's very much about not forcing. Hmm. So what I didn't want them to do was get up and, you know, have this bit from Brandy Brown and, and actually get up and, and do that. That's not what Laban is about. Laban's very much about, you know, you do all the preparation beforehand, so all the stuff about feeling where the efforts sit in your own body. So you understand your own expression. And so when you start exploring the emotions, you can feel tiny shifts and offerings of transformation because that's what we're about as actors or you're about as actors and storytellers. You know, you're about... um, those small shifts that can take a body into a transformative place to create really robust characters and to tell story. So, um, so it was about, we had to work quite slowly because I, there was 150, I was like, Oh, we'll get through all of these. And we probably got through about, we probably <laughs> got through about 20 in a year. Do you know what I mean? And we just, <laughs> so it was a slow process of, of letting it sit within the body you know, through the weaving and through doing re- the really big abstract weave and then really hu- put, drawing it down and humanising it, but listening for the shifts and how that, what then that offers us as, in terms of thought and feeling. Because quite often in acting process, we go the other way around, don't we? 
we have the thought and the feeling and then we allow that to inform the body so this was you know seeing what the body allowed bubbled in the body and then what thoughts and feelings did that offer the actor so it was extraordinary yeah. and it is extraordinary and it's still developing and i one of my, one of my regrets about leaving gsa is i've not got a group of actors to play with <laughs> <laughs> you know who are willing and trust me enough to yeah. experiment because you know we touched on you know challenging emotions as well as what we we you know we did joy we did love but also we did grief mm. and loss and it, you know, these are very raw components of the human condition. And, you know, you know, and we all have a different engagement with them. So mm. it but it was great that they trusted me enough to it to go to those places and then we'd reflect afterwards yeah. and journal, reflect on how these sat within the body, what they'd discovered. Um, and then we debrief and closure. So that's kind of how the work had been developing for me in terms of the workshopping of LARPEN. And I would love to do more of that work. Mm. I I then, because uh, at GSA, then have the opportunity to work on the third year show. So we did Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. And um, then how do we take the efforts into rehearsals, into the show? Um, and are they appropriate? You know, it's, it's, that's the whole thing. And what are we what, what what are we looking at once we get into a rehearsal scenario? So mm. I think this is something that you wanted to talk about, wasn't it? Is how yeah. do we use them once we get into the yeah room? yeah yeah? That's one of the questions. How do you use it in rehearsal? Um, so once we start working on a play, I think there's two there's two things that happen. Mm. You've got the actor's process in the rehearsal room, which is a collaborative process with the director and with the other members of the company. And then you've got the actor's process that takes place outside of the rehearsal room um, and is all the preparation. And that's something the actor does on their own. More often than not, the the efforts go in the second one. You know, they're, they're from the actor um, and they're for the actor to develop the work on their own and make the offerings because quite often you'll be in a rehearsal space um slightly different at gsa they'd everyone had done the efforts but the the director didn't know what the efforts were do you know what i mean so it's like or they did but they hadn't worked with them in the detail that we might have worked with them so you're often in a in a room not everybody has the same understanding of you know pr um process and everyone has different process mm -hmm. So I think it's it's being a, able to use them individually as an actor to create character. Mm -hmm. So it, it's taking the quiet time before you get into the rehearsal time to sit and see what the character offers. Mm -hmm. and what the Laban does is brings you into a consciousness and gives you a language to describe the small shifts that create the character and support the storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, one of the things that we did do in the rehearsal room, because all the actors, we could do effort weaves as a warm up. 
So they're a really great warm up. But if you do warm up with them, start with the lighter ones. You don't want to start with the heavier ones. You want to start with the lighter ones and get the body going. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you can effort weave on um, themes and ideas that come from the play. So it could be that you, uh, or an action or a scene. So you could think about, um, trying to give an example here. I can't think of one, but, you know, one of the scenes in Julius Caesar, you know, where they're, they're processing and Caesar is all powerful. You yeah. know, you you can do a, a weave around that and let the characters just feel what those shifts are. And then it, and it, it serves as an expressive palette so that when you start to work with the director and work on the scene, those little shifts are accessible to and those choices are accessible to the actor. Mm. So that's one of the ways I like to use it. I don't ever enforce it, you you know, because it's my ideal is the people who'd worked with me and done lab and rigorously over the two years. Mm-hmm. It's just in their bodies because it's an embodiment and yeah. that it should be seamless. And what we don't want is to watch an actor on stage and go, they're doing the efforts. <laughs> that is not great. Just- it's it's a seamless yeah yeah (laughs) like no internalize it (laughs) but it's also it's those small shifts and because it you know as an actor you're in the business of transformation and what the lab what laban does is bring us into a consciousness that we can consciously shift and consciously make decisions to transform and understand and have a language to communicate that to our director to the people we're collaborating with um so that's kind of how I use it in the room. Um, and I think I worked on a play. I don't know. Did you see it at Southwark Playhouse under the Kundu tree? Uh, sadly not. No. Sorry about um, that. But um, we used it a lot there because it was a really, really expressive piece. It was about the uh, Cameroon fight for independence in the 1950s. So there was a lot about colonialism and the impact of colonialism on the body and how that was expressed. And it became a language in the room about, well, if I do this on the thrust or, you know, I can sort of dab back here a little bit um, because the storytelling was through the body Mm. primarily. Um, So, yeah, really useful, but it's going to be different for everyone how you use it. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So, how how much of the text um, influences you? Because um, I think one example could be, and Julius Caesar with Brutus has that speech where he, where he says it must be by his death where he's plotting Caesar's assassination, essentially, and it's a journey through how am I going to do it? Look what he's done. How am I going to do it? Okay, now this is this is how I'm going to do it. So it's like a weave of different emotions and different tactics. So. How would you apply the efforts through the text and the tactics which the character uses? Again, it's different for every actor. Yeah. Some actors won't touch the efforts and some will. Mm. So I think Shakespeare is beautiful to do the efforts with. So, yeah. you you know, you'd sit, I'd sit with that speech and I'd feel it through. That's the actor to feel it through and mark in any thought and feeling changes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's great. Um, so I've talked about, I think one thing I wanted to, um, I think I asked you in the last um, episode we did was, uh, 
Was there one question that you'd like to ask Laban? And we talked about this just before today, and I think you've mentioned it already. Um, you said uh, how he correlates the effort to emotion. So how do you think he would respond? I don't know. <laughs> I'd love to know more. In fact, this is the project I would like. We've at, at Surrey University, they've got the Laban archive. Of course, yeah. And they've also got the archive of someone called Geraldine Stevenson, who was one of Laban's students. And she became a movement director and did a lot of work at the National Theatre. And her notes, I think, would give us a real insight into Laban's application of his work, because it's not just the efforts. Mm. A lot of the stuff around space, um, the whole combination of the use of the body, that he has action driving drivers that he has as well that I don't I'm not clear about but I think we'd get what I think going through her archive would give us insight into yeah. how Laban worked a little bit more with actors so that's a project that um I've got bubbling and I you know maybe I'll apply for funding to yeah. go and spend some time in the archive and just mine through that and then I'd love to workshop it with actors mm. you know because one of the things at GSA we did do was go to the Laban archive and the students we worked with some of his drawings and the archive there's something wonderful about the real pictures that he actually draw as he was trying to make sense of space they're very beautiful it's wow. about a thousand drawings and then to take that into our contemporary bodies and to go okay so I think it gives us a different access point to Laban um, so that would be my next step is to go back to the archive and talk to them and spend mm. some time there yeah, they'd be like, um, I think one, one I talked about, like the walls, like, I wonder if like the walls or like, the energy in that room just gives you something or just feeds you in some way towards that next project. Something mm -hmm. about like the space gives you the answers. I've heard that that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, I doubt. But how does Laban view space? I mean, from your discoveries about it, how, what's the importance of space to him? Well, it was vital because Laban, um, my understanding of Laban is he had five components the way he looked at movement was body, action, space, dynamic, and relationship. So it's like a five-point star, and that everything we do, every movement we make has elements of those. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we're looking at actor movement, for me, the whole of the actor movement curriculum is based on that five-point star. Mm -hmm. And even the, and even though it might be, not be very obvious all the time you know that is always underpinning the work and that's what gives us the language to talk about the elements that we need when we're working as an actor so the space element um Laban divided it into two two parts you've got the kinetic space the kinosphere and you've got the shared space or the public space um and then from there, he got into an awful lot of detail about particularly the kinosphere, you know, because he he looked at front back, you know, dimensions. And from there, he created um, what we call movement scales. Mm -hmm. So I think I did a movement scale with you. Um, yes, sure. Falling. <laughs> yes, yes. Come back to me now. It's coming yeah, back. Dimensional cross scale. So he yes. he was interested in you know, how we, how could you almost catalogue 
the use of the personal space and then what do you do with that information I mean it was more relevant for dancers on one level but there's um a really lovely a link I can send you where there's three three people doing responding to the dimensional cross scale and my my teacher Valley Meyer talks there about she related it to emotion yeah. feeling you know so what's if you rise how does that feel and if you sink you know where does it what does that feel like so I think it's Dick McCraw um is talking through that um so everything intertwines so you, it's very difficult to separate them off, but um, yeah, the Laban—that's a, a, a brief summary of space. But <laughs> we'll go into a lot more detail about it at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. That's for next time. Uh, so we talked a little bit about before we came on about um, the how you can use two efforts at one time. So you're not just on uh, slash thrust or glide or flick, you know, you can combine two of them at the same time mm -hmm. to create like a lovely sort of dynamic between, and I think from my experience, it helped like shift in objectives. So say if my objective was really light first, then suddenly it became really heavy or vice versa. Um, so uh, just to talk a little bit more about how you can use two efforts at one time when you, when you practice. Okay. So we talk, we call this effort duos. Effort duos, yes. And effort duos are part of finding what we call the um, effort map, which is a, a map that you will have one personally and for a character, we, we find that. Mm -hmm. um, and the effort, the effort map is the duo plus the main action plus an action. Mm -hmm. And that will give insight into the character. So when we're thinking about it's a practice, you know, so it's it's not as simple as I just get up and do two two efforts at the same time. <laughs> you have to practice, yeah, doing it. But we do think of one being more internal and one being more external, which I think a lot of times when we're developing character, you know, like if you're in a period drama and you have to hold yourself and you've got a particular etiquette that you have to hold on the outside, so you might be gliding. And on the inside, there's this thrusting and this turmoil, this sort of sharp you know this force on the inside so then where the two efforts sort of meet you you get the little frisson and that that dichotomy is what character is that's who we are we're full of you know sort of dichotomies and and two things going on at once and and in fact I always say that to actors never take anything away because as humans, we're multi-layered. Mm. So the duo is just the foundation and then you can add more on top of that. But um, but the internal to the external can swap and move. Mm -hmm. So you can then start gliding on the inside, but thrusting on the outside, you know, it's it, depending on what the demands of the story is. And then the duo can, often a duo, an effort duo, stays with the character throughout the play mm -hmm. so it's the it's the thing that fundamentally makes what the character is so it's two things and you work so there i think it's most likely we can see it when you you see we, in mundane action so if you see a character walking or making a sitting down standing up making it you know maybe writing something or making a cup of tea mm -hmm. you can often see the two 
efforts in action. So we see it through the action. Um, and then on top of that, through the text, you'll then weave a score mm-hmm. of every effort because we use every effort. So this multi-layering is what brings the humanity to the character. Mm. And the duo is the foundation of that. Mm. So that's brilliant. So you you mentioned there are some people who don't use the efforts at all. But um, so what, what would you say to those actors who who don't use the effort or think that it's not part of their process? How would you get them on board to, to help them with this, to allow the efforts to help them? Um, I think first off, they'd have to want to. It's called consent. It's my of, biggest, oh, yeah, biggest, of course. Yeah, of course. Big in my world at this moment. I wouldn't force them on anyone. Um, no, 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 of course. I'm aware of that in often in my classes that for some people they don't resonate. Mm-hmm. But... What I would say to an actor is the reason that we use the efforts is to open up that palette, to give you a wider variety of um, choices, conscious choices. Mm -hmm. Also to help you, we once the efforts are there, and I don't know that you remember this, but Mm -hmm. everything you look at, you can then analyze between through breath, weight, time, and space through the motion factors. Yeah, 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 yeah. You start looking at everything. So even things as simple as if you're on stage with an actor, maybe they're not doing the efforts, but you're wanting to have a relationship with them. You're supposed to be playing siblings. Mm. You're noticing that, um, you know, they do something. This is from Vanessa Ewan's book. She talks about an actor jutting their chin out on a thrust. Mm. And you make note of it and you, you consciously understand that it's a thrust. So you put the thrust somewhere else mm. and you give us, so we, we get a sibling relationship so, you, so I would just say to an actor, it just expands your palette and gives you choices. Yeah. If you want to do that, then come learn, come learn Lab and and I'm also. Lab, guys. Well, I, I'm absolutely think every actor should do it, but you, I have to be really respectful because, and also, I think one of the things that happens because my friends who are older actors don't think they do Larben, but they did Larben in their training. Mm. what happens is when you practice and you work as an actor a lot it's just part of what you do you just get up and do it yeah because it's about the embodiment yeah and so they they don't always need to redo efforts you know if i go in and say let's do efforts they find it really patronizing (laughs) because actually they're so skilled they don't it's fine they're just at that point where it's just part of who they are and what they do but certainly for younger actors setting out and if you're coming new into the profession, I would say it's a really good way of understanding the language of expression, finding the language to communicate with your collaborators and giving you a really wide palette of movement um, to do the very best character and storytelling. There you go. There you have it. But uh, I've just, I'll get this on camera on uh, record for now. But if you do need actors, you know, just send an email out. You know, we'd all love to come back and help you. So as, yeah. long, as, as long as you promise us coffee and biscuits, we'll be there. So it's all oh, good. good. Well, I was thinking of doing some, maybe in Brighton, maybe some workshops at some point where I oh, can yeah, we'll be there. some of these. Yeah, I'd love to do it. <laughs> Sorry? You can all go swimming rather than coffee and biscuits. Okay, well, that's some kind of reward, the seaside. <laughs> you buy some ice cream. Uh, but, um, yeah, great. So let's, um, so that, you know, thanks for that. And then let's talk about some of the work you've been, you've, worked, sorry, you've been doing a lot more recently, which is your 
Uh, can you give me that title that you did at the start of the episode? Was it like was four double barrel titles or something? Uh, I, th- I think the, the main thing to think about is that I'm working as an intimacy practitioner and I'm under mentorship with somebody called Eater O'Brien, who I think a lot of you know as the person who she did sex education, I May Destroy You, Normal People. Yeah. Um, and she set up something called Intimacy On Set uh-huh. and I work for them. And like I say, I'm still under mentorship, um, which I really enjoy. <laughs> it's, great. it's great being a bit older and being under mentorship. You're like, yeah. Um, so it's really lovely to be learning, growing my practice, um, and being because there's about there's six, seven of us doing this at the same time, having a tribe to talk about it with. Um, yeah. So the intimacy work for me came from. I think as a movement director, I've always engaged. And I think a lot of movement directors have always engaged in intimacy work. Um, Because directors always go, Rose, you know, you love bodies. You deal with that. You go down the corridor. (laughs) And I hopefully I did it with respect and kindness. But I didn't, you know, it wasn't kind of, there wasn't any kind of conscious technique at that point. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of movement directors were handling it really well. But what we knew was that there was a lot of abuse in the business and yeah. stuff happening that wasn't great. Um, so then so Vanessa Ewan in her book, Actor Movement with Debbie Green, she has a whole chapter on actor safety where she was in, she'd been in a rehearsal and she was like watching the fight coordinator work and then she had an intimacy call and the fight coordinator got like all this time and she got a little bit of time right. she was like well what's going on here yeah and then she thought, well why isn't the intimacy like fight you know it's it's you know it's a body dance um and so she started to relate fight to and intimacy having a similar journey um, and technique. Ito O'Brien at the time was doing work around victim and perpetrators. Uh-huh. She did some work at Mount View with um, Meredith Dufton um, and was developing some of the ideas around the intimacy work with them and got to the point where I was writing guidelines for intimacy. So all these things were converging at the same time and starting to materialize. And then we had Me Too, which kind of just fueled it. So then guidelines were put in place or started to be put in, discussed and put in place across the industry. And ETA has spearheaded a lot of that. Um, So that was 2017. So that wasn't long ago. So 2018, I did a workshop with ETA. And ETA and I have done the same MA at Central. Okay. And I'd worked with Vanessa on safety for the actor. And I know I remember in 2018, she said to me, oh, Rose, you can do this. Come and do this. And I was like, well, I'm really enjoying this at the moment. It's fine. Um, so what I started to do was input the intimacy work into GSA. You know, so I started to offer it to the actors as I understood it. And then we had and I was going to do a training with Eater and then we had lockdown <laughs> everything went online and we all went a bit pear-shaped yeah and so I had to let go of that and then anyway we 
and then an intimacy was a nightmare in lockdown. Because you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You couldn't. You do couldn't it. do it. It was very hard to be close to it. People found ways, but it was very hard. Anyway, come back after intimacy, and a real. I think there was something really tangible about post lockdown for young people. Because hmm. young people have been shut away. They've been told if they touched anyone, they would kill them. Um, hadn't they? And then suddenly we're in a, a creative environment where we're brooking crossing the space and using touch. I mean, also we'd had six months of being in two meter boxes. It was. Oh God. Yeah. Did you remember? Uh, sadly I do. Yeah. <laughs> so there was something here about how important intimacy was throughout the whole of the training. Oh. So I started implementing it and looking at how it worked across a three year arc. And how you offer, and then and on the MA course, how you offer it on a one-year course to opposed to a three-year course. And then I started. I wrote the guidelines for GSA. So um, I wrote, yeah, I wrote the guidelines for GSA in collaboration with Vanessa Ewan from Central and in collaboration with Eta O'Brien. So I brought together because intimacy and conservatoire. It's going to be very different from intimacy in the business. Uh. Not very different, but, you know, there's certain things as an educational institution that I would say we shouldn't do. Like we should never do full nudity. No. I think that shouldn't happen in an educational institution. <laughs> so, you know, so it was about starting to raise awareness. And then I'd started yeah. training the staff. The staff were really positive, really on board so that, and what I found was that consent-based learning was what we needed fundamentally. Uh -huh. So what I had hoped at GSA, we were starting to create consent-aware artists. So that idea of consent and training the staff, training the students, that everybody was working from a consent-aware place meant that we could produce really positive intimacy we could use touch effectively and well without anybody feeling like they were imposed on or you know upset by the work so that's kind of where I began from and really enjoyed it mm. you know it was a real good good thing to do really took off for me and then Things changed for me at GSA. I was just started getting a bit restless, looking for something different. And um, so I went down to part time. And then eat I got a job on the Larkins. It's <laughs> my first intimacy job. There's not a lot of intimacy on the Larkins, but that was really nice. So it was a really gentle way in. And I'd spoken to Eta and Eta had gone. Um Anita had said, well, I'm going to do a training. Do you want to come on board? And I was like, absolutely, because I don't know enough about it. So from there, you know, and then I assisted her on Magic Mike 3. Oh, wow. Which was a bit of a baptism of fire. Jesus. Um, yeah, I was working with the supporting artists, which was really interesting and really wonderful to see how Eta was working. Hmm. So then signed up to the training, and the training is in three parts. So we look at intimacy pedagogy which i've been doing a lot of at gsa and then intimacy direction which again i've done a lot of in terms of it's in, all in theater and live performance and then for film and telly which was an area that i had less 
expertise in and was interested to develop. But also as part of being an intimacy practitioner, there's a whole wraparound of other skills that you need. So for me, it was like a bringing together of work I've done in the past, because I've also been, um, I've done trauma-informed care. I've worked that work with the homeless. Wow. You know, I've, I've worked as a doula. I'm a yoga teacher. You know, there's all these other facets to my practice. And sort of the intimacy draws on a lot of this because you have to be a mental health first aider. You have to do conflict resolution. You have to understand unconscious bias. You have to understand what it's like to work with children um, and the law around all of that. So there's this all of this wraparound that you have to understand. You also have to understand risk assessment and risk. So we write a lot of risk assessments. Yeah. So this is really exciting for me. I, I love learning. love doing something new. Mm-hmm really invigorating to be with a group of people who are really robustly um, interrogating intimacy and how it works. And of course, you've got the techniques of intimacy, Mm. how we do simulated sex, you know, masturbation, all of those things, all the, all of those things, but also inferred nudity, body coverings, and how you have the Mm. most awkward conversations ever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great. I love a good awkward conversation. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here now. What's been the most awkward one you've had so far? <laughs> um, what's the most awkward one? I think I think the most awkward ones are where people don't understand the role of the intimacy practitioner. Okay. And what you're what you're dealing with is a resistance that comes from not lack of education on their part or fear so you spend because there's a whole fear that potentially are you know the intimacy director or intimacy coordinator will interfere with the process of the director so sometimes the awkward conversation is that they don't really want you there Mm. Um, and you know we as intimacy practitioners are there to serve the director's vision. That's what we do. And and protect the actors as well, right? Well, um, look after the actors. That comes along with it. But first and foremost, we're artists. We create a beautiful body dance. Oh. We tell the story and we support the director's vision and we look after the actors. So we look at what the actor's requirements are. Um, we use the word requirements instead of boundaries now because it's less, it feels more malleable <laughs> uh, because requirements and consent ebbs and flows. It changes. It's not yeah. fits. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this work and I've just done yeah. my first feature film, which was really interesting. That was a film called Ready or Not in Ireland. Um, and that was hard because that was working with child actors as well. So you're then yeah. having to body doubles you're having to look at the law around working with children um and child psychologists parents so so it's it's a very different way of working um on one level but at the heart of it it's choreography and into that comes my larbin so when i'm looking at these bodies and the way they interact and are they telling the story? I've got breath, time, weight, and space. And to get the expression, I'm using, you know, the language of the efforts to help the actors find the expression. Yeah. All the intimacy is illusion. And 
Yeah, it, it's like an effort weave, like your own effort weave of your life, Laban, through the intimacy coordination and movement. It's it's like movement ties it all together, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So everything for me is about movement, and Laban gives me the language to talk about that. And the yeah. intimacy is just the next step for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're we're going to come back to this, but I'm just very aware. I was going to ask you a question at the top of the episode, which I've now left very, very late. But uh, so sorry about that. But, you know, the movement, the like I just mentioned there, the movement that connects your career together. I mean, where did the love of movement start? Where did it come from, do you think? Oh, I think I think as um, I'm heavily dyslexic. OK, I think a lot of creative people are. And um, I grew up in a place where there was no art. So I didn't go to the theatre till I was 17. I know what it was like. Um, So the things that I enjoyed was sport, any kind of moving. You know, I played football, which in the 1960s was, you know, interesting as a girl to play football. So I was a tomboy. And I just understood movement and bodies and people and I, I I knew, you know, I swam as well mm. uh, and I played music. So that was all. And all the music was was part of it. And even the sport I played, I remember playing tennis and someone said, you look like you're dancing on the court. I was mm. like, oh, because I wasn't particularly, you know, um, competitive, but I did like the feel of it. And I remember that. And then I wasn't very good at school. <laughs> I did get excluded. Um, but there was one of those moments where there was a school trip and I was always that person who would, I would always go, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and, you know, they want to go and see, it was, um, it was London Contemporary Dance Theatre at that time. And I went, I'll go. And I had no idea. And I went and I saw it and I went, I have to do that. And it was mm-hmm. contemporary dance. And it was a piece. There was Jacob's Ladder and Troy Games. I remember them really clearly. And then I insisted on going and seeing theatre. And I saw Twelfth Night. Uh-huh. And the astonishment for me of being in an audience and other people laughing at the same time, that live experience was just like, that is amazing. And I also saw a Brecht piece, which the politics of it I absolutely loved. And then it was a case of how can I get into this? <laughs> how can I go from having no A-levels to getting into this? And I got into a place called Bretton Hall and uh, just went from there. And I am obsessed with bodies and movement. So I do everything and anything. I have tried every movement form. Um, and what I found was I fell between... So I did work as a dancer and I toured as a dancer and as an actor. But what I found is I fell between dance and and theatre somewhere. And that's where the movement direction came. And what I found that links all of it is I like movement that tells story. I like to tell stories. Mm. And but yeah, if it moves, I do it. I'll have a go at it anyway. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, this is just one one more question before we go back to intimacy stuff. I mean, I was reading somewhere that we have love and like to. I'm, I'm not sure if love specifically, but people who do love and like to look at movement, like like you just said there. You know, if it moves, I want to do it, or you know, impersonate it. But like, does animal studies come into your 
line of work at all? Do you do you look at you look at the movement of say uh, I think one example was Benedict Cumberbatch went to the London Zoo when he was doing the Hobbit. He played Smell the Dragon and he watched Komono dragons in the London Zoo for I don't know how long, but I'm guessing a long time. Uh, just watching how they moved, how their eyes flickered, how they moved their legs, the look on their face, the movement of the neck. Yeah, what's your experience of animal studies? Well, having taught it a number for a number of years, well, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's really exciting. I mean, it yeah. is—it's everything you say. It's, I think it's that detailed observation, and also it's about engaging with nature, which always I love, and I think it's really good for us to go back to the natural world and take inspiration. Um, but to do it in a really respectful way. So what animal study does is is really gives time and breath to the animal. And as an actor, you just absorb that and take it into the body. Um, and I just think this is a really great thing to do. It's a great starting point. A lot of actors really love it as a starting point for finding character. Yeah. It seems like the shape of the spine of a monkey or a... Yeah gazelle will give you a different kind of character you know you but and then the breath and the rhythm of the animal because it gives you so much texture yeah uh, and those animal rhythms um i know Ito o'brien has used them a lot in the intimacy work wow. so it's again it's another you know it's another tool in our toolkit isn't it it's another physicality i i, I remember in my early training at breton i think i was uh a lizard on the stairs for a whole night. If I remember, I remember being very sore the next day. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't—they only move about ten percent of the time. <laughs> I know. Well, I was, and I was on the stairs, which was a really bad place to put. Oh, why, yeah. why, why did you do that, Rose? <laughs> I wanted to know how it felt. Yeah. Are you happy? Are you satisfied now? <laughs> yeah, no, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Not without a lot of cushions. Oh God! Uh, but do you believe in um, spirit animals for for people and things? I think that's a personal thing. Okay, it's different do, for everybody. I do you have one though? I'm a I'm a selkie. A what? Selkie. Um, there is a s story in my family. Great, great, great grandmother is a selkie, or was a selkie. Selkie's a seal. Okay. The okay. seal people. So, so if I can spell it right. S-E-L-K-I-E. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I can find a picture of it now. Oh, right, okay. So it's like a, so it's like a mermaid, essentially. No, they're different. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, they've got a picture here. I, I won't show it because I don't want to get in trouble, but she's a lady surrounded by seals on the beach. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Seal people are, um, you can, it's, it's from my Celtic background. You can, the seal can take off the skin and walk on the land. And if someone steals their skin, they have to stay on the land, but they will always love the sea. Okay, and that that speaks. That's very fitting because you love you love your swimming. You still do swimming in Brighton even now. So, yeah, yeah I, I swim all year. How always, always have done, but I think that if uh, if I did have an app, it would be the seal. <laughs> yeah, I got. I still have some questions about swimming, but I'll ask you that off air. So we'll do that later. Um, so anyway, let's go back to your int intimacy work. Um, so I was interested to know about because I've seen a few productions recently which have really pushed the boat out and they really 
really shone a spotlight on intimacy coordinators and how important they are. I, think, I remember you said earlier that sometimes you've had this unfortunate experience of people look at you in the rehearsal room and going, why, why are you here or something like that? And that's just, that's just wrong. Um, but, um, you know, cause you mentioned sex education, which is a big one for intimacy coordinators. If anyone who's seen the show, you know, I've, I've seen it looking forward to the last series, but, um, you know, and I, I saw a play this year called a little life, which I've mentioned quite a few times on the show, which really was intimacy coordinated heavy. Um, so it's how, how do you sort of approach, I mean, because like, for example, sex education, you know, you worked with the lady who, who actually choreographed all those scenes. If something is quite highly, not, not risky, but like, say if you're, if you're choreographing a sex scene where both actors are particularly exposed, how do you sort of build that trust with them and then with each other? And how do you create that, you know, that sort of intimacy? I think we get, you have to go way back before we even get to that point. And okay. The reason sex education was so successful is that Eater worked with the production company mm-hmm. and the whole crew. So everybody was aware of what they were doing, how they do it, and what was required. So I think where we start from, if we're working on a, you know, a, either a stage production or a TV or film is way back when it's being talked about mm-hmm. intimacy, direction or coordination. We're part of the creative team and we're brought on board early enough to be able to have the conversations with everybody we need to. So one of the things we do, so then when I get a script, I will look through it and do what I call a scene breakdown where I will isolate all the bits of intimacy and just so I know where they are. And then I'll spend time with the director or the director and producer asking what their vision is. What do they want the storytelling? What would they like? How would they like these scenes to be staged? Um, Sometimes there's storyboards. um, Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's talking it through. So that, that way, as the coordinator or the director, I have a really full understanding of what the the director's vision is uh-huh. the production company then would introduce me as the coordinator if I think of it as coordination to the actors and then we do check-ins with the actors um, where we talk about the scenes and check their requirements what are they happy to do what are they not happy to do is there anything they're concerned about within the role and we take note of those and um you know, we can relay, relay those back to the director. Might have to re- talk to costume, you know, because if there's what costume are they wearing, you know, can we find a way round, you know, nudity? Because you can infer nudity. Uh-huh. So you can be wearing flesh-coloured shorts and you can film, you know, up to the legs and then down the back to the top of the hips. And the audience will Im- fill in the rest. You know, they'll imagine um, the nudity. So we, we get as much information as we can from the actors. We talk to them. We get as much information from costume, from the director, um, set, what's going on in set. Have they thought of camera angles? So we gather all that information and then we go back to the director and then we have a rehearsal with right. the director and the actors and we look at staging the scene. Um, and if, you know, we're just in rehearsal gear 
And we talk, there's a whole process that we talk through, which if you come on one of our workshops, you'll hear all about the process. But there's a lot of talking through. We take the heat out of the work. Um, you know, things like we always have a timeout word that we share across the production or across with the first AD if we're on set. And the actors normally agree this. So at any time, if the actors are uncomfortable or the director's uncomfortable, call timeout. Nobody asks why. And we just down tools and give five minutes, do whatever, and then come back. Because, yeah, all sorts of things can happen on set or in when you're doing new. I mean, for a woman, she might start menstruating, you know, so, she, you know, call timeout. And nobody needs to know. We don't ask. But, you know, you want to go and sort yourself out and come back and feel comfortable moving on. Mm -hmm. So um, so we always have a timeout word. And then the rehearsals are done on a closed closed rehearsal. So in theatre, it's a closed rehearsal room. On In telly it's, and film, it's a closed set. So it'll probably be me, the director, and the actors just for the rehearsal and we literally go through and we choreograph the work and we do it using techniques masking techniques and we talk it through and we we're very matter of fact about it mm -hmm. um and all the time we're checking in with the actors so everything's done through a consent-based process so hope so hopefully everybody agrees to what they're doing. Yeah. And the thing that we always like to think about, no is a gift. So there's a whole culture that actors feel they have to say yes to everything. <laughs> and I think I take it very seriously. Actors work very hard and I, I'm always very careful what I say to actors because they always go and do 110% of it. So one of the things that we impress on the actors is be really clear about your no's. Because no, in fact, is a gift. Because we just find another way of doing it. It's creative problem solving. It's what yeah. I love. <laughs> <laughs> it's always another way. So if you're not comfortable with something, be, have a really clear no or a really clear yes. And then there's all that lovely area in between, which is maybe I don't know. So you can scale that. And um, sometimes I think I often with maybes, I'll treat them as no's. But... What we know is consent is variable. So often when I've been working with an actor for a while, they build confidence and they feel confidence and safe in the environment and, and then the no might become a yes. So mm. consent can develop and equally it can go the other way, you know, that they have actors that are like puppies and they're excited and they're yes to everything and then they start doing it and go, actually, no. it's not right. <laughs> and that we really respect that, that we really... Yeah try to respect that and hold that space and make sure that we still find the creative solution to honor the director's vision, the storytelling. So it's a, a process of rehearsal. And then once we, and we always at the end of rehearsal, we have closure because one of the things that's really important with the intimacy is it's about the character and the storytelling. It's not about, we don't want to hear about your personal life. Yes. I don't want to hear your personal sex sounds. That embarrasses me. But we are interested in the character and the character sounds and how we can develop that through the breath. So we do breath, you know, the breath work, uh -huh. wait time and space. We do a bit of larbin in there. Um, and so once we've got to the end of rehearsal, 
hopefully the actors know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The director knows exactly what's going on. So if we're in, in film and telly, then when it comes to a, crew, a small crew showing, we can talk to the DOP and look at camera angles and make sure the director's got what they want. And I will always sit on the director's shoulder looking over the monitor just to be sure. Mm. Same in theatre. So then when it comes to um, the actual shoot or a rehearsal with um, any form of nudity, I, I think that's the hardest thing for an actor to do. They rehearse, 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 and the minute you take your clothes off, it's like... Now um, what? <laughs> but, but then we have robes and we have a closed set and we take it very slowly. So we give the the actors an opportunity to rehearse in costume. So there's always costume. When two yeah. bodies are close together, there's always some sort of barrier or costume, whether it's pillows, whether it's um, we have things called shibus and hebus, or whether it's nipple daisies. Well, there is some form of gentle coverings or okay. top coverings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only time there is full natural nudity would be there's an, a lovely example of this if you watch let the new lady Chatterley's lover. Oh yes, a, I have I have seen that. Yeah, there's a moment when they run in the rain. Yes, yeah, I remember that. And it's just very beautiful, mm. but that was all done through consent and what they were happy. What were they were happy to show of an offer of themselves, mm. but all the intimate scenes where they're close, they've got body coverings on although you probably can't see them well they're they're, they're quite minimal yeah <laughs> and often they're cgi'd out you know oh, so okay. all right so so we we'd give the actors time to rehearse again in whatever the costume is do we need to make any changes and then we'd have the crew showing with minimal crew and then when we then we shoot it um and we've still got that time out word so if we need to stop we can Uh Um, so when we shoot it I was on one set where the actors asked can we not do too many repeats of this Hmm. so I I relay that to the director great we just shoot it three times and it was done that's it yeah Yeah. so it's about it's the key to the intimacy is open and transparent communication to ensure that everybody feels comfortable to do the very best work they can and what I've found with the intimacy is that a lot of actors are just relieved that I'm there. They're like, thank God you're there. Because mm-hmm. um, what it, what you do is you choreograph it and then they can do what they're good at, which is acting. Yeah. And they produce these most beautiful characters and storytelling because they feel really secure in the action, in the movement. So, um, yeah. And then always at the end of it, we'll have closure. And then after we've shot, we do a lot of follow-up. Mm-hmm. So we will recheck in with the actors, recheck in with the director. You know, maybe if we're, it, it's slightly different in theatre to film, but with film, you know, it's with you maybe the actors might want to look at a rough cut and mm. check that, you know, they're not, you know, and actors in film have riders written into their contracts where they lay out really clearly what they're prepared to do and not do. And we have to really make sure we honour those. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that gives you a sort of brief overview of how we do it. Slightly different in theatre. 
uh, it's very different in theatre than it is because in theatre you're then having to repeat it night you might be repeating yeah. it six or seven times a week so you have to think about how is that um in theatre we always have a an intimacy call the same as you'd have a fight call yeah yeah, yeah. often it's put after the fight call um I mean, because you you come in one day and you 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 know that you have to do this scene where you kiss the other actor and they've got a cold sore. <laughs> so oh. you, you need to have that conversation, and it it's just one. It's a very human thing. Yeah, and you solve it. There's so many different ways of creating the same passion and feeling, mm. but without making lip to lip contact. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, my next question really was: what's the difference between? film and tv because like film is a lot more kind of subtle whereas theater you know you're kind of it's you know like, like you said night after night you know is there a subtlety that you have to sort of bear in mind because you're on camera with the close-ups and all that kind of thing i think i think oh I, I think with film and telly you've got a lot of fun with camera angles mm. so illusion is a lot you know a good DOP and lighting, you know, the illusions you can create. And because you can go back and retake, mm. um, it's a slightly, it's a very different process than live theatre where you've got one shot at it every night. Um, in theatre, you've still got the same parameters that you've got, still got the same magic that you can deploy. So um, I did a play called Against and... Um, yes, yes you know there was a, there was intimacy in that so it's where you set the intimacy what angle you're looking at it from how can you use lighting and costume to support what you want to get out of that situ situation is it relevant yes. <laughs> sometimes people add in intimate scenes and you're like going well why is that there is it really supporting the time so those are questions i will often ask a director or a writer and go you know is it needed um mm. and then with against it really was but you you know but you changing how the audience sees it and where you place it on the stage i think is just really important and then you have this same close set rehearsals you have an intimacy call you have the same time out but then you might have to be checking in the with the actors more if it's a run you're going to have to be checking in the actors more often because they're having to repeat the same thing and when we repeat things that has a different impact on the body mm. so sometimes it's a case of and, and you also you have in theater that if you have a swing come in you know and they've not rehearsed the intimate scenes you might have to suddenly have to re-choreograph scenes um so it's it's different but you know, the, the same principles are there, open and transparent communication. Yeah. And the checking ins and making sure that we're all working towards the same end through consent. Yeah. I think the the biggest word that, like you say, is consent. And, you know, I didn't realize that, bef you know, like you say, it starts all the way back at the beginning. So you pitch a, a project and you go, this is what we'd like to include especially if it's something for theater and it's full nudity you know eight times a week you know you know there's a big conversation to have there to say okay how exposed am i am i going to be in a way but it's it's safe to what well, it's it's reassuring now that we have people like yourself to come in and say look like you create your you're building towards a goal which at first is a bit daunting but you know that 
you know, with you, like with you there, you know, it's going to be safe and you're in safe hands and you create a really good environment, especially in theater. Cause it's again and again and again and again and again, eight times a week for 12 weeks or something like that. You know, it's a long time and a lot is asked of you. So, yeah. So if, so, you know, I suppose in a way, like we always talk about, like, I says the benefits of this sort of thing is you get, you create the story, you create, you give a story and it's full, you know, full image, you know, and the nudity or the partial nudity, whatever it is, it helps to build the story in a way. And so makes it come alive. So it's daunting, but it's important. What do you think about that? Well, I think the, the fabulous example of that is normal people. Hmm. I don't know if you've watched it, but then the, um, the physicality and the intimacy is integral to the storytelling. It's Eater O'Brien again. Mm-hmm. And also, but Lady Chatterley is the same. It, the yeah, physicality yeah. and the integral to the storytelling. And I, I think it's about everyone talking about it. Yeah. And, and gone are the, in, I have had situations where directors are unable to talk about in the past. It's like they leave the intimate stuff to the last minute and you've got the actors going, they've read it in the script and they know it's coming up. And I, that I want to let go of. And there should be no shame about it. It's just another scene. And intimacy is part of our human condition. It's pleasurable and wonderful and joyful and yes, a lot of the work we end up doing, because in dramas, it is not always that. It is abusive and violent. And yeah, we have to dis- we have to do that as well. But it's just another scene, the same as you do a fight. Mm. You know, it's the same thing. It's another scene. And we just need to be deadly professional about it. Oh, yeah, hugely. Has, has, have you ever had um, an experience where you've sort of choreographed a scene with, you know, the consent's been given and everything, but... Uh, the last minute, literally just before the director goes action or director goes, okay, let's run this scene one more time that they go, actually, can we, do you mind if we just change it? Do you mind if we not do as much as you have, you ever, have you ever yeah, had yeah. that? Yeah. Um, theater production where I had an actor, I mean, the right, it was written clearly that they needed to kiss, um, did it in rehearsal. And then he just, and then when I checked in, they he just said, no, I can't do that. Mm went back to it fortunately we had the writer in the room with us and we had to rewrite so we have to honor the if we ask are you okay or we have to honor whatever comes back and actually the director was fine about it the writer was fine about it and uh, the actors two actors in found found the same relationship but without a kiss they did it through touch and in other ways and it was you would not know it was missing, mm. you know, because they were really skilled actors, but just yeah. that wasn't right for that person at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just looking at what other questions we could sort of talk about. I mean, we've talked about so much stuff today. This is amazing. Um, I just got this one here. How important is it for actors to go? Oh, yeah. So I think we've already mentioned this, but I think, you know, those initial, we're talking about like, those initial conversations, like before, you know, you get, to set or you get to the rehearsal space or whatever. So I've got a question here, which says like, how important is it for actors to go? uh, Is it for, I think what I meant to say is how important is it for actors to know how far they are willing to go and important to know where their boundaries are. Anyway, obviously you talk about, they'll talk about that with yourself, but it's 
would you say that it's more important for them to know themselves just how far they're willing to go? I think it's really important when you take a job. Yeah. That you listen. You yeah. really listen to what is right for you. And no, we don't always know at the time. And but you if you're taking on a job that requires a lot of intimacy and a lot of nudity, uh-huh. you do your preparation, read the script, know the story, understand why it's there and ask questions of the director and the producer. Uh-huh. Um, don't go into it going, yeah, I'll do anything, whatever you ask, you know, <laughs> ask questions and then sit with yourself and ask yourself, what are you what can you offer? Is it the right job for you? Um, so don't just take a job because it's a job, you know. Mm. You've got to be able to do the job. And hopefully if there's open and transparent communication, then you, know, you get the job and you can then negotiate all of the ins and outs and how much do you offer through someone like me, but through the producer and through the the director um agents will will often negotiate for actors as well about what's right but i think as the actor you've got to be really honest and do the work Mm. and for some people um they don't want to do intimate scenes and Mm. that's okay but be honest about it don't try and think well i've just been offered the job so i have to do it it's not the case and also once you talk about it, you might feel more comfortable going, oh, I understand why it's there now. So, yes, I f- that makes me okay. Mm. Um, so things for actors to think about. Be prepared. Always do your research. There should never be any intimacy in a, in a, re- a rehearsal, in an audition, mm-hmm. first audition. Sometimes they call you back for second auditions and sort of chemistry things. Um, to check the chemistry between actors. There should not be any kissing or anything in that either. If there is going to be, as the actor, you should ask to have um, the script well in advance and you should be able to take someone with you. Mm-hmm. So you have someone else there but and you should be able to negotiate what that is. Mm. If it's if it's sprung on you, though, because I, I spoke to someone called... Adam uh, Boardman, who's been on the show, he talks about an audition he had. Um, a lot was asked of him in the very first audition, and he was kind of going, whoa, 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 <laughs> okay, hang on a minute. So if it is sprung upon you, I think this goes back to your comp- your words about saying no, like you have that right to say, look, this is too much. You know, I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah. This yeah. early on in the process, for God's sake. I mean, and also as an actor, you have to think, well, do I want to work for people who do this to people? Yeah, yeah that's a good point an ethical thing here that and I know we're always looking for work and short of but ethically do you want to work for somebody who is going to spring something on it and well done for him for saying no Mm. Um, and you know you can walk out of the room you have got that agency and I know that's hard but if somebody's asking you to do something that infringes on your being and puts you in a place where you feel exposed and comfortable mm-hmm. you know you can walk away you exactly. can and yes, would you would you want to work for people who put you in that position i would say yeah but, but in my experience a lot of companies now are the exact opposite <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're really working hard um because they recognize they want what's best for their actors yeah 
they they need their actors to be great storytellers and to do that they want their actors to be really well supported so they're really great at getting people like me in to come and support the actors over the intimate work and same as they're very great at getting the stunt coordinator or the fight fight director in Mm. so I think a lot of companies now are really positively using consent and intimacy in a really good way. Excellent. Fantastic. It's changing. The business is changing. It's changing and it's good. And it's good. It we feel good. a lot more comfortable now, which is great. Uh, Rose, thank you for today. This has been this has been so great to have you back. I know I'm very aware of the time. I know you've got to shoot off in a minute. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming back today and for your time. This is been really really great to hear about this and and to, to check back in with you again this is a lot of uh nostalgia going through my head right now not only just uh last year but the last time we spoke and just everything in between and it's been great to talk about Larbin again and uh, to hear more from a professional about the in- intimacy work and how important it is and the the amazing work that it's been doing since like the me too movement and everything that happened with that and how the industry like you just said is in a much better place and a lot more consenting and safe space now which is an important thing and you know gives me confidence going forward and knowing my rights in auditions etc so so thank you for the work you're doing and what you've given me over the last couple of years it's been amazing uh we've just got one final question for you today this final final question for every guest is what's been an experience you've had in your career or experiences you've had in your career up to this point that you're never ever gonna forget i think it has to be magic mike three magic mike three <laughs> Wow. I watched those. There was 11 guys on stage. I mean, they were the most professional dancers I've ever watched work. They had a choreographer called Alison who worked them. They worked solidly for about 10 hours. I have never seen such a professional group of people working. Um, And yeah, they did that whole thing when they took the tops off and, you know, the, the audience and, it was, they were just incredibly professional and also really professional in the way they negotiated consent with the audience. They're really good at knowing when it can just be the look in someone's body or look at someone look away and they would know not to go to that person and lap dance on their face. So, <laughs> which is what they do, you know, and they do it with, they do it so well. Yeah. But it was an extraordinary learning experience for me. And, you know, just really deeply impressed with the professionality of everybody involved on that production. Mm. Yeah, really good. Fantastic. Well, here's to Magic Mike 3. There you go. But uh, amazing. So, yeah, just I don't want to say, just thank thank you, Rose, for today. This has been so great to have you back. I'd love to have you on again. Um, talk some more in the future. Let's like like to hear about more work you're doing in in the future. And, um, yeah. I just amazing. It's been great to have you back. So thank you. If you just hang on, I'll finish the recording. I'll say goodbye to you one to one. Guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This has been the Uncensored Critic podcast. And I will be back again very soon. And yeah, amazing. Rose, Rose Ryan for the second time. Thank you. Mm-hmm.